Hi, my name is Mackenzie Morazic. I have been attending TCC for five and a half years now, and today I will be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mackenzie. All right. I was thinking we could start off by uh, singing one more song. Does that sound good? You'll, you'll know this right away. You can sing with me. Don't leave me stranded up here. But Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend, and I'll help you carry on for, and it won't be long until I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. <laughs> We are all very well familiar with Bill Withers' um, Lean On Me. In 1972, Bill Withers wrote Lean On Me. And at the time, I don't think he knew that it would go on to be an anthem for countries around the world of people rallying together to overcome unbelievably difficult situations and circumstances. At the time, I do not think that he knew that that song would go on to become a rallying cry for nations going through a global pandemic. And I'm sure like me, many of you have seen various videos or different things of people working together, pushing against incredible difficulties, laboring together to overcome obstacles within the background of the song, Lean On Me, playing. And it's a beautiful song. But Bill Withers wrote this song from a place of loneliness. He, was, he had moved from a small town into the big city and was sitting at his piano playing that familiar da-da-da-da-da. And these words started going through his head, lean on me. And he was reflecting on how in the big city he had not found the same type of community that he ex- had experienced in his small town. And in his small town, he was used to people connecting with one another very naturally. In his small town, he was used to people going to one another in times of need. And it was just not something that he was seeing in his, in his community, in his, in the big city. But I think about this song and how it's a song that resonates with every single one of us because it speaks to our human condition, doesn't it? It speaks to this reality that each and every one of us are made for community. That we flourish best in the context of community. But it also speaks to this reality that at some point, every one of us comes up against the fact that we need resourcing beyond ourselves. That we come up against in seasons of our lives where we're desperate for something that in and of ourselves, no matter our wealth, no matter the resourcing that we have, we come up against needs that we in and of ourselves are not able to meet. Be that the darkness of relational trials where maybe we find ourselves like Bill experiencing extreme loneliness and we're just desperate for someone to reach out, for someone to lean on, to find that helping hand, that friend. Be that a place of emotional darkness where we're struggling with anxiety or depression, we can't get up in the morning and we just want someone to come to us and lend us that helping hand to bring comfort in that pain. Or maybe it's seasons of darkness where our minds are just racing and we're struggling with doubt. We're struggling to make decisions. We're struggling to figure out what the best next step is. And we just want someone to come 
and give us the answers. Or maybe it's the darkness of physical pain and hurt and sickness where our bodies are not functioning the way that they should and we wonder if we will ever be well again. And we're desperate waiting for someone to come with a word that brings healing or help. Or maybe it is the simplicity of resourcing where we're looking into tomorrow or the next week or next month wondering, will I have enough? Will I have what I need? Songs like Lean on Me hit the nail on the head with this beautiful invitation. Lean on me when you are not strong. But as I reflect on that, there is a sad reality that the resources of people at times comes to an end. But I can't help but point to the fact that there is a God in heaven whose resources never fail, whose presence never fails. And where that song gives an invitation for us to come and lean upon another person, the story of scripture, I believe, is of a God who is calling for us to come to him, to allow his light to shine into our loneliness, to allow his light to speak to our emotional pain, to allow his light to come and flood our minds in the midst of difficult thinking, to allow his light to come and comfort us in physical pain and suffering, to allow his light to shine into even our physical needs. I want to speak to this reality this morning. We've been in a series as a church called Life Together where we have been working off these foundational principles that first God has made us to flourish in the context of community, that we require community to actually flourish into the type of people that God desires us to be. And then secondly, that a call to follow Jesus is not just a call uh, to come into this individualized faith, but it is simultaneously a call into a community. That the call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call to participate in community. So we've been asking the question, what is this community supposed to look like? What is this community supposed to be? And today I want to talk about how we are to be a community of light. We are to be a community of light. And I want to talk about this theme under the heading of the idea of temple. And maybe those two things don't seem very connected. Light and temple. Light and temple. Through this series, we've talked about the reality that we as a church, the Bible calls us a family. We've talked about how the Bible calls us the the body of Christ, that we are a collection of people coming together, doing the work, the continued work of Jesus. So we have that metaphor of body. Another New Testament metaphor that uh, Mackenzie read for us this morning is the fact that the New Testament calls the church the temple. The church is the temple. So I want us to unpack this metaphor And see how this temple theme throughout scripture is a theme of light. That God revealed himself to his people, that the temple was set up and his presence dwelt among his people in the temple and the tabernacle. And then his presence came to us in the person of Jesus Christ and now by his spirit in the life of the church. So that is what I want to speak to uh, this morning. So buckle up. We're going to be uh, looking at quite a bit of scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'll start in Exodus uh, and we'll journey, journey with me on this theme of the theme of community of light. So God, first we see in scripture that God's light comes to us in tabernacle, temple, incarnation, and the church. The tabernacle, temple, incarnation, and the church. In Exodus chapter 19, we see God building for himself this people. Um, and we have this mission given to them. In, in Exodus chapter 19, we read um, that, that God says in in verse 5 into 6, that although the whole earth is mine, 
You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God is saying of the people of Israel, I want you to be my representatives. That's what it means to be a priest. That God wants to shine his light to the world and he's going to do it through a people, through the people of Israel. So they were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which is to say that they were set apart. Now for them to fulfill this mission, they needed resources from God. First, God gives them his word with extensive, extensive teaching on how they are to live as a people. But the other thing God gives them is his presence. And if we turn just a few pages over to Exodus uh, chapter 25, we see that Israel was instructed to build a tabernacle. And a tabernacle very simply was a tent. It was this, this moving temple that traveled with the Israelites through the wilderness. And in Exodus chapter 25 verse 8, we read, Then have them make a sanctuary for me. I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. So they go on to do this. Uh, We have documented for us the building of the tabernacle. And then in Exodus chapter 40, uh, we read that the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the people of God here were given God's presence. The light of God was in their midst. You did not have to ask an Israelite if they believed in the existence of God. Because in the center of their community was the tabernacle. And at the tabernacle was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. A physical presence of God in their midst. Now, this pattern is repeated for us in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings, David's son Solomon builds the physical temple so that it's no longer a traveling tent, but now a temple building. And in 1 Kings 8, we read similarly of God's glory and his presence coming and filling the temple. So now in the nation of Israel, in Jerusalem, we have the tangible, visible presence of God. And the people of Israel were to carry out this mission of being the people of God and shining out God's light and his love to the world around them. But that's not exactly what happened. Israel begins to reject God. Israel decides not to follow his word. And the prophets give us a documented a telling of God calling out to his people, calling them to live righteous lives. One example of this is Jeremiah chapter 7. We read, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, in the temple, which bears my name, and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And if you know the story in the Old Testament, this temple that was built ends up being destroyed. God gives Israel over into the hands of their enemies. The temple is destroyed. The people are exiled from the land. They did not fulfill the vision God had for them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We keep reading in the Old Testament historic books in the book of Ezra that that the temple is again rebuilt, that people come back to the land, they rebuild this temple. But the people were not reformed. So we have this problem. They desired God's temple, his presence to return, but it was not working out the way that they had anticipated. So we move into the next part of the story in the New Testament, that we see God's light come to us through the person of Jesus Christ. 
At the beginning of John's gospel, we have this amazing line in John chapter 1 verse 14 where John writes that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, something that's really cool about this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We could translate made his dwelling among us to came and tabernacled among us. The Greek word used here to to talk about Jesus dwelling among humanity is the same Greek word we have in the Greek New Testament uh, for tabernacle. So in the way that the tabernacle was the embodied presence of God among the Israelites, so now Jesus became the embodied presence of God among his people, tabernacling among the people of God. The presence of God, not in a building, in a building, but in a person. And what's amazing when we watch the ministry of Jesus is that he did things that could only be done in the, tab- in the temple. He would go around forgiving people of sins. People are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Forgiving people of sins? Jesus, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins and only at the temple. Jesus went around blessing people, feeding people, healing people, things that were associated with the presence of God and breaking among his people. Jesus was the embodiment of God among the people. And then we keep reading and Jesus sends his spirit. The same spirit that was working and ministering through Jesus, he sends to us. John chapter 20, Jesus breathes on his disciples. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, we read about the Holy Spirit descending upon the apostles in power. The Holy Spirit has come upon his people. We see God's light now in and through the church. The Apostle Paul says it so bluntly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The the, the presence of God no longer limited to a tabernacle or a temple. No longer limited to one person, Jesus Christ. But now alive and at work in the church over the past 2,000 years. In our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. Not only has the work of God been such that he has reconciled you now to himself, not only has God made you in relationship with you, not only are you reconciled to God, but you are also living stones. What? Living stones. And in Jesus, we are all joined together. We become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Friends, this is huge. Are you picking up what I am putting down? We are the temple of God. God's spirit is dwelling in our midst. The light of God is here in the midst of this community indwelling each and every one of us as living stones, building us up to be a temple of light to the world. This is huge. As the Old Testament temple was a tangible presence of God on earth, so now the church is a tangible presence of God on earth. As the temple was a beacon of light, so now the church is a beacon of light. As Jesus was a beacon of light, so now we are a beacon of light. Now, I want to talk about some of the implications of this. First, there's an implication as individuals. 
Each one of you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, has received the Spirit of God. And now you carry and represent the light of the presence of God wherever you go. There's a couple of um, implications to this. So individually, we carry the Spirit, okay? First implication is relational. You carry the presence of God with you. God is only ever a thought away. He is indwelling you. The presence of God is with you. And if you don't know that presence of God, if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you, if you have not confessed faith in him, um, we, would, we would believe that you do not have that spirit. But that is available to us as a free gift of grace. God's saving work, his presence with and within us, bringing us back into relationship with God. And that is the relationship we were made for. So that's one implication. The second implication is an ethical implication. Now we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So there's this, this ethical uh, implication connected to us being little temples of Jesus. What we do with our bodies matters. The things we do, the choices we make matter. Why? Because God's Spirit is living inside of us. You know, here's an illustration. This can make me sound like a bad person. But um, when my second daughter was born, um, I, my wife went into labor at home, and we were headed to a birthing center. And it was a November evening. My daughter just turned two uh, last week on November 17th. So November 17th, two years ago, I get a phone call. My wife broke. I get home, and uh, we realize that things are happening fast. So we climb into our car, and, and you know, we live in Terwilliger Town, so there's not a hospital close or a birthing center close, and we start driving. Am I driving the speed limit? Absolutely not. Um, I'm driving quickly. I'm trying to get to where we're going as fast as I can. I'm terrified that our baby is going to be born in the car. Uh, we got to one point. I needed to turn left, and the light turned red. There's a gas station on my left, so I cut across, turn into the gas station, peel out of the gas station, left again, right? If you ever need to go left and the light's red, that's what you can do. So I'm whipping around to get to this birthing center as fast as possible. Now, only two or three hours later, it was a very fast birth, I'm back in the same car on the same roads, but am I driving in the same way? Absolutely not. There's a little baby in the back seat. The way that I'm driving is changed. I'm driving super slow. I'm driving below the speed limit. My behavior has changed. Why? Because I have become increasingly aware of a presence in the back seat of my car. The presence of a newborn baby demand, demands that I change the way I'm driving. I can't drive recklessly anymore because I need to protect that child. Not that I should, I should have protected my pregnant wife. I, I get that. That's where the, uh, that's where the illustration breaks down. However, however, our behavior changes in certain situations based on who we are with or what's going on. Friends, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God is with you wherever you go. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. That has ethical implications on the way that you live your life. Jesus wants to shine his light and his truth into this world. And he's going to do it through you. And one of the ways he's going to do it is by the way you live your life. What you do with your body matters. There's also a missional 
implication to this reality. In John chapter 7, um, there's such a cool theme in the, in the Gospel of John about water. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets with the woman at the well and, and, and he says to her, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask me for water and living water would well up inside of you and you will never thirst again. God wants to give us something that's going to satisfy the depths of us. In John chapter 7, verse 38, uh, he gets up at the end of a feast. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Friends, the spirit of God is meant to not just sit inside of us. It's not meant to just be this nice, warm feeling um, when we're feeling scared and receive peace or whatever it is or something that settles our anxiety. It, it is not just that. But it is meant to well up within us and flow out of us into the world around us. The spirit of God flowing out of us, light into darkness, water into places that are dry, refreshment to those who are thirsty. And I believe that this plays out for us in two ways. First, it plays out for us as a church community. Friends, we are a light to one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as Pastor Steve taught on a few weeks ago, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Friends, part of our role here in the context of um, uh, the life we do together, when we think about being a community of light, is that we are to be a light to one another. So many people are looking for a tangible experience with God. I just wish I could see God. I just wish I could feel God. I wish God would reach down and give me a hug. These types of things. And I sympathize with that. Would I love it if Jesus just walked in the door over there right now and said, Hey guys, you know, I'd be off this podium so fast. We'd be rushing to see him. But friends, Jesus said that we are the body of Christ. Does that not mean that when one of you walks through that door that I'm getting a little glimpse of Jesus? Does it not mean that in our life together, our ministry to one another, that if, if you're desperate for a hug from God, that you should receive a hug from a brother or sister in Christ and say that, yeah, that is like a hug from God. That when we are feeling lonely or hurt or broken, that when, when other Christian brothers and sisters come alongside of us, and they minister to us. That is the ministry of Jesus Christ if we are taking the New Testament seriously. That is an embodiment of Jesus Christ. That is an experience of the tangible Jesus Christ when we minister to one another. Do you understand how significant that is? The role that we get to play in one another's life is we, we do the ministry of Jesus to one another. It is so powerful. And throughout the New Testament, we read about the one another statements, these commandments for the early church, that they would be emotionally present to one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, creating a space of belonging where they are devoted to one another, honoring one another. First Corinthians says that we are to have a concern for one another, all the while experiencing this ministry of Jesus in our midst. And this also extends financially in terms of resourcing. That we are a light to one another, making sure that we all have the provisions that we need. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is praising the Macedonians. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. We are a light to one another. We are a light to one another. Um, If I had time, I could give story after story of ways we've done that at TCC. Of ways that we have ministered Jesus to one another. There are countless stories within this congregation of people rallying alongside one another in times of need, in times of hurt. And I thank you for that. But let's keep it up and do it ever more increasingly. So as the Spirit of God, as that light fills us, as we minister to one another, of course we go beyond this. And as a church community, we also are a light to the world. This is the one we often think of uh, more quickly. We are a light to the world. Now a passage um, that is so cool about this that relates to the temple is from Ezekiel chapter 47. And there's too much text to put on the screen. But if you have your Bibles or on your phone, I encourage you to go to Ezekiel uh, chapter 47. And in Ezekiel chapter 47, the prophet Ezekiel is having this vision of the temple. And from the temple, water begins to flow out of it. And Ezekiel notices that the water is is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. It starts off at his ankles. And he keeps going and he realizes the water is now at risen and it's deep enough. It's up at his waist. And then it rises in that it's deep enough for him to even swim in. And in verse 6, we read that uh, the person, he's having this vision and an angel is showing him around. It says, then the angel led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on either side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes out to the Arabia where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. And there will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Down to verse 12, looking at this river, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and their fruit will serve for good food and their leaves for healing. Why am I talking about Ezekiel 47? Friends, this is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 7 when he says water is going to flow out of us. The water that flows from the temple of Ezekiel's vision flows and everywhere where it goes, it brings life. Where there is death, it brings resurrection. The salty water becomes fresh and fish begin to swim. Where there is no food, it brings food. It brings prosperity and life wherever it goes. Where there is darkness, it brings light. That is our role as a church, as church as the temple. We are that temple. The water flows from this temple out into this world around us. We see the testimony of this uh, throughout church history, where Christians have consistently laid down their lives to the benefit of others. They were a light to the sick in the second century when Christians boldly cared for the dying who were tossed on the streets during the plagues. As a means of caring for those who were ill, St. Basil of Caesarea founded the first hospital in 369. When you think about the health care that we experience today, the access to doctors and things, it has its roots in Christians desiring to be a light. Christians were a light to the orphaned, 
The churches founded orphanages during the 4th centuries and monasteries took over the task in the Middle Ages. Christians fought against the practice of abandoning unwanted children, being a light to the orphan. Christianity has been a light in the area of education for centuries. The German reformer Martin Luther taught that cultivating the human mind was absolutely essential because people needed both to understand the word of Scripture and the nature of the world in which the word would take root. Luther went on to say that those who failed to teach their children were shameful and despicable. But the church has been this beacon of light in the area of education. Most universities began as a Christian school. The printing press was an invention created by Christians, and it's the first thing ever printed on it was the Bible. All of this was done in the name of Jesus Christ. One example after another of light shining into darkness, of light pushing back darkness, where the sick are not abandoned, the orphaned find a place to belong, the uneducated were given opportunity to learn, and the hungry fed. In our own city, I think of organizations like Hope Mission, which was founded in 1929 by Reverend Harold Edwardson, established a soup kitchen in Edmonton's inner city, serving meals to hundreds of people struggling with unemployment and homelessness at the onset of the Depression. Today, Hope Mission has grown into a non-for-profit Christian social care agency caring for impoverished and homeless men and women and children in Alberta. Hope Mission's mission statement is to strengthen and uplift men, women, youth, and children through the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Already one cold night this winter, they've sheltered over 800 people on one night. Light into darkness in the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, the tangible presence of God among his people and the world is no longer bound to a building But as the Holy Spirit fills us, we shine that light, that presence, that temple, that light. We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. So how do we mature as a community of light? How do we begin to mature as a community of light? This is all great in in theory, right? How do we live this out? Well, first, I think it starts with us abiding with Christ. It starts with us abiding with Christ. We need to devote our lives, give ourselves to the person of Jesus, to come into his presence every single day, to, to sit before him, to surrender ourselves, to allow his Holy Spirit to fill us. You know, I think about the kids' song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. When we neglect abiding with Christ, we are hiding that light under a bushel. (laughs) We neglect cultivating in our lives space for the Spirit of God to speak to us and minister through us. We are hiding that light. We are snuffing it out. But friends, if we go out and try to change the world, if we try to do all sorts of good works in our own strength, I don't think we're going to get very far. Jesus has invited us to a life of participation with him, joining with him in the things that he is already at work doing. If we want to be a community of light, 
It has to start with each and every one of us as individuals committing ourselves to growing in relationship with Jesus Christ. Spending time with Him in His Word and in prayer. Getting alone with Him. Bringing Him the burdens of our hearts. And asking, for, asking Him for the wisdom and strength to be a light in this world. The second is we need to pay attention and see and hear opportunities to bring help and support. Just have eyes to see what's going on around us. To ask the question, how can I help? How can I be a light? As a Christian, having eyes to see areas of darkness and to hear the Father speaking to us about areas where we can come and bring light in Jesus' name. The third is just a rewording of this, but find an area of need in your community and meet it. Find an area of need in your community and meet it. This is a a line that Tony Campolo used um, a couple decades ago at a conference my parents were at. And it resulted in my parents purchasing a 16-bedroom house in the McKernan area to rent out rooms to university students as cheaply as they possibly could. (laughs) They sound a little crazy, and maybe they were. Um, But this question of uh, what is a need in my community? My parents, uh, my dad is a pastor at McKernan Baptist Church, and Living in that community, the housing need was huge. Students would come to Edmonton to attend school and they'd be paying over $1,000 for a room in a dingy apartment. My parents were like, this isn't just. Landlords are making a killing off of these poor students. And so they found the biggest house they could find in the area with the most rooms that ha- they could find in it. And God provided one miracle after another uh, for them to be able to purchase this house. And we, I grew up in a context where we'd sit down at the table. There's like 16 to 20 of us around this big table eating meals together because my parents provided room and board to university students for pennies. They found a need in their community and they met it. Some of those students are still in touch with my parents. They're still ministering to them, still discipling them. Find a need in your community and meet it. Think about your children's schools, your workplaces, the environment that you maybe pass on a daily basis to get to work or school or the grocery store? Are there needs around you? Are there glimpses of darkness in places that you interact with every day? How might you bring a light? Find an area in your community and meet it. And fourthly, to borrow Jesus' words from Matthew 10, talks about giving a cold cup of water in my name. Friends, we do good in Jesus' name. We do good in Jesus' name. In First Peter, uh, Peter talks about how when we live out the gospel, when we live this life that Jesus has called us to, when we are a light, people are going to ask questions. And as we minister in Jesus' name, and as people ask questions, why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you buying a house for university students? Why are you making a difference in this school? Why are you so invested in this area or that area? We tell them about Jesus. We say we're doing this in Jesus' name. We're extending grace because grace has been given to me in the person of Jesus Christ. So friends, as we abide with Christ, as we pay attention to opportunities to bring help and support, as we look for areas and be intentional of meeting practical needs, as we do good in Jesus' name, I believe we will mature as a community of light. And I want to encourage you, TCC, to be a light to one another It is so easy for us to not tell one another of the needs that we're experiencing. It is so easy to resist vulnerability in in the name of self-preservation or whatever it is. 
But sometimes we miss out on sharing light with one another because we don't actually know that there's maybe glimpses of darkness in people's lives because they aren't sharing that with anyone. I encourage you to to get involved in in a prayer meeting. Get involved in one of the various groups we have meeting at TCC. Get involved in a triad. Find spaces where you can share your life with other people so that you can minister light to them and they can minister God's light to you. Coming up this weekend is an easy, low, low bar of a way to shine light to our community. Our Winter Delight event is just an opportunity to extend hospitality to Terwilliger community. Are you going to come? Who are you going to bring? Invite them to a space where they can celebrate, celebrate Christmas in a park at an event hosted by a church. As we hand out hot chocolate in Jesus' name. It's such an easy way for us to shine light. We'd love for you to be involved. You can reach out to Marnie if you'd like to be involved more intentionally. But find ways to minister Jesus' light. Well, I'm not sure how you are hearing this uh, this morning. Again, I think some of you are probably at a place in your life where you're looking for a tangible God. I want to encourage you to receive his presence. Maybe you've never received the gift of his spirit before. Maybe you're new to faith. And when I talk about this idea of having God's presence with and within you, you get excited. Respond to that today. Come and find me after the service. Talk to someone about that. We'd be happy to pray with you. But for maybe some of you, you're feeling, you know, that God feels distant or whatever it is. But recognize the presence of God among you in the faces of your brothers and sisters in Christ. The people sitting in this room embody Jesus to you. You are not alone. You do not have to feel alone. God is with you in the presence of the brothers and sisters you're sitting around. Some of you listening this morning are perhaps complacent. You're happy where you are in your relationship with God. The thought of being missional is just simply intimidating or you can't be bothered. But to you, I say that the Holy Spirit is not for your own therapy. It's not just for you to feel good and be like, oh, great, I got God's presence. Jesus said that it's supposed to come out of us. It is supposed to overflow. We allow our fear to get in the way. We hide our We hide the spirit in this light under a bushel. No, don't let it be so. Let the light shine. Let the light shine. And for our community as a whole, I have this challenge. This question I've heard in various um, kind of missional circles. But if your church ceased to exist, would anyone notice? If Terwilliger Community Church ceased to exist, if we were ripped up out of this community, would anyone notice our absence? I hope we can carry that question with us a little bit this week and ask the question, how can we be a light in such a way that if this church were to be removed, it would be a great loss to this community and to this city? I pray that for us. That if something ever happened to us, that the loss would be a great one to our community and to our city. Friends, we are meant to be a light. We are meant to be a light. Well, I want to continue this conversation into our Advent series. Uh, next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And each year we talk about various themes within Advent, the themes of hope, joy, love, and peace. And so we're going to carry on this theme of a community of hope. 
community of joy, community of peace, community of love. And ask the question in each one, okay, how have we received this from Christ? How have we received hope from Christ? But now how do we extend that hope into the world? How have we received peace from Christ? But how do we extend peace to the world? And ask this question as we go uh, through Christmas. And I pray that through this Christmas season, we will be known as a light in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community, and in our city. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on the platform. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you as we have been through song and reflection. We praise you that you have never left us alone. Lord, you did not abandon us. But you have gifted us with your presence. And the story of your abiding presence goes back thousands of years to when you called the people to yourself and you gave them a tabernacle and then a temple in their midst. And Lord, you have blessed us as well with the gift of your son. His presence in our midst showing us a better way to live. Showing us what it looks like to be a light. And then you have resourced us with all that we need. That we may be a light to this dark world around us. And so Lord, it's our prayer this morning. That you would... Let that light well up in us. I just invite you to stand. You open your hands before the Lord. And Jesus, as we stand with our hands open before you, we say that we receive the gift of your Spirit. We receive the gift of your Spirit and we pray that it would well up within us. And Lord, as your temple was a tangible image of your presence among your people, we pray that our lives will be a tangible image of the presence of God in this city, in this community, in the workplaces and schools represented by those standing here. Jesus, let your spirit well up in us, we pray. Help us to be a light in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.